We are continuing our journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you can tell by the graphic, we've titled this sermon series, Return of the King. And my message title today is Living the Gospel. Living the Gospel. Our passage today really offers a glimpse into the heart of the Apostle Paul. It's, I think it, you'll see more about the heart of Paul in this passage, arguably, than any other passage in all of Scripture. This passage, I think, provides us a rich and deep description of the genuine heart of a pastor. And so as I was studying through this text this week, it really spoke to me about the way I'm supposed to live my life as a leader and how I'm supposed to reflect that out to you in a way that you can imitate Christ's likeness in me as a pastor. It spoke really clearly to me. So I think you'll see that jump out in our passage today. So let's jump right into it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came, we never came, with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretense for greed, God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, saying we didn't do that. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring, taking care of her own children, so that being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Powerful passage of scripture. And so let me set some context for you here about what Paul is writing. In the book of Acts chapter 16, around verse 16, we find the story of the slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And she had been following the Apostle Paul and, and his cohort around for several days. And, and the, the, the image that, that Paul paints for me is that she had been screaming. The Bible says that she was screaming out. And this is what she's saying. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they proclaim the way of salvation. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Hey, and they are claiming the, 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 the day of salvation. These men, day after day after day, and the Bible says, Scripture tells us that Paul got annoyed by it. And so he cast the demon out of her. 
And apparently, she was, a, she was a slave because Scripture tells us that the owners were, became enraged. They got upset because they, were, they knew that they were going to be missing out on a bunch of money. She was making them money with this, with this gift that she had. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas, and they, they drug them before the magistrate, and they accused them of disturbing the peace in the city. So the magistrates grabbed them and they ripped their clothes off until they were naked. They stripped them naked and humiliated them and insulted them publicly and tied them up and beat them with many stripes. And then even without a trial, they tossed them into the Philippian prison, the, church, the, the prison in Philippi. They placed their feet in stocks. They were in a dungeon. Didn't even have a trial. Well, it appears that these same Jewish leaders or representatives anyway sent by them made their way to Thessalonica, and they began to deride Paul's reputation. Remember last week I talked that in the book of Acts, the, the, the 17th chapter, the, Paul had encountered Jewish opposition that had, that had arrested or accosted, if you will, Jason, his host. And so in fear of his life, uh, the, the, the church feared their life, they in the middle of the night, took Paul and Silas and snuck them out of the city, and they landed about 50 miles away in the town of Berea. They did it for their own safety. So now it appears perhaps that this same group is now seeking to undermine Paul's entire ministry. So they question his character, and they're questioning his integrity. Where's Paul now? Have you seen him? Have you, have you heard from him? He's disappeared. Gone. See, see, he's just like everybody else who's, who's come through our town. All he was looking for, really, his agenda was all about money. It's all about sex. It was all about power. And see, as soon as he was confronted, as soon as the heat was turned up, as soon as he didn't have answers to the questions that we were asking, he's done just like everybody else has done who was in his position. He ran away. Because the intent of his heart, the motive of his message was selfish. It was selfish. It was full of selfish ambition and self-gain. See, that's the implication here in this passage. And so Paul begins chapter 2 here by getting straight to the point. He's, he gives a straightforward response to these accusations. And so he gives an assessment of his visit to Thessalonica. And in doing so, he answers the accusations of his accusers. And he does this by showing that the only thing really that he was interested in, the only things that he was concerned about was two things. The truth of the gospel and the health and the future of the church. Let me say this to you. You can tell a whole lot about the character of a person and the motives of a person by observing them and measuring them, especially leadership, measuring and observing them around these two questions. Are they concerned about the truth of the gospel? And are they concerned about the health and the future of God's church? So Paul gives a straightforward assessment of his visit to the church in Thessalonica and it begins in verse 1. And here's what he says. He says, for you yourselves know, brothers. I love that term, by the way. He says, he says you yourselves. 
He doesn't say you heard and so that's how you gain this information. He says, no, you yourselves, you know for yourselves, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And, and here's what I want you to see. Paul's motive here was not to defend himself. He's, he wasn't trying to defend himself. He's acting in defense of the gospel, and here's why. He's defending the gospel of which he is a messenger because he understood that the message of the gospel is either weakened or strengthened by the integrity of the messenger. So he's defending the gospel. Do you know the same holds true today? Do you know that this same message applies today, that the message of the gospel is either weakened or strengthened as a, as a result of the way we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ? So the question is, is the gospel, the truth of the gospel, being lived out daily in our lives? Is, is, is the truth, the, the true gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish but can receive and have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Is that true gospel being lived out in our lives every day? Is it compelling? You see, family, the reputation of the gospel is at stake by the way we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And I love how Paul challenges him to reflect on his behavior. You know, I talked about the 3DM workshop earlier, and, you know, and, and, and we have what's called a learning circle, and it takes us around how to hear the voice of God for ourselves, right? Everybody needs to be able to hear the voice of God for themselves. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let me say that again, all right? Everyone, all y'all, need to be able to hear and determine and distinguish the voice of God for yourselves. God speaks to all of us, and he wants us to be able to understand his voice. And Paul challenges them to observe and reflect on his behavior while he was with them. In verse 1, and then again in, in verse 2, he says this. He says, for you know, for you know you've been with me. In other words, he says, you, you see the way that we lived our lives because, because you, we've lived our life with you. And so as a result of that, you know two things about us. You know that our coming wasn't in vain because your life, the fruit of your life is the evidence of that. He said, and then you also know this. You know that with boldness. We declared and dared to speak the truth. You know that about us. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, man, you know, this is not the testimony of some stranger. You know how we lived when we were with you. We, you know how much we cared about you and cared for you. And then in verse 9 and verse 10, he says, listen, he says, he says remember. You remember. And then he says, you were our witnesses. 
how we live life with you in total transparency. Nothing to hide, nothing to lose, nothing to gain, nothing to prove. Total transparency. We hid nothing from you. And as followers of Christ's family, every single one of us need to live a life of transparency with nothing to hide. A transparent life that's open to those around us, especially those who are close in our inner circle. And for us who are leaders, this kind of openness is, 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 is more, it's, it's more necessary than ever before. Because the world around us is constantly throwing traps at us. We're always running into pitfalls that will cause us to to stumble and fall if we're not careful. And so there's an element of openness and transparency and accountability that we need to have, especially as leaders, but not exclusive to leadership. To all of us, family. To every single one of us. We need to constantly evaluate our lives and ask the question, am I living the gospel today? Am I evidence of the gospel being true in my life today? So first, Paul provides a a straightforward assessment, and then he points out three markers of a person who's living out the gospel. And here's the first. When we're living out the gospel, our message is true. Verse 3 and 4. For our pill does not spring from error or impurity. That word impurity, that won't go into it a lot today. That word impurity means um, a sexual purity. It means to abstain from sexual immorality. He says, he says, our appeal did not spring from that. And here's the implication. It's not in my notes, Nate. Here's the implication. That there were those that were going around and saying, you know, well, since Paul has these women in the church and that's uncommon, Lydia, for example, you know, then there must be some hanky-panky going on behind the scenes. And Paul was saying, no, our motive wasn't that, wasn't that. Our appeal didn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted by the gospel, so we speak. And here's the thing, not to please men but to please God who tests our hearts. So in verse 4, you can almost almost hear Paul answering the two questions about his character. Paul, how do you characterize your ministry, and how do you view yourself? He He says, listen, here's the answers. I view myself as one who has been approved and entrusted by God with his ministry. That's all the ministry of a, God, a minister of the gospel is, someone who's been approved and entrusted with the, with the gospel. You see, as, as your pastor, that's, that's what I'm charged to do. As your pastor, I want you to know I'm, I'm nobody special. I'm flawed and imperfect just like you. I have issues just like you. I can stumble and fall just like you. And so, and so I've, I've always said since I've been your pastor, listen, don't put me on a pedestal. Don't put me on a pedestal because I'm, I'm fallible flesh just like you. But here's what I know. 
You follow me as I follow Christ, and you'll see me work through those flaws, pressing more into Christ's likeness every day. Allowing those things that, that hold me back from living a Christ-like life to be shed off through the power of prayer and through the power of fellowship with, with, with the beloved brothers and with my, with my family. And so as flawed as I may be, I know that God has called me to a different standard. And so I surround myself with men and women of God that can hold me to that standard. And so should you. That's a pretty good place to say amen, by the way. Okay. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, it's simple. God has trusted and approved me for ministry. He's examined my heart, and as a result of that examination, he's entrusted. That means he's tested. Whenever that word entrusted means he's tested, and he knows my heart, and he knows that I'm going to speak the truth in love as best I can no matter what. And that's, that's my responsibility as a pastor. God has entrusted me to bring you the truth, to speak the truth, to speak to you the good news that you have a father who is madly in love with you that has an undying, unconditional, supernatural love for you that was displayed through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and is available to you by embracing the saving grace found through faith in Jesus Christ. God has entrusted me to continue to hold that in front of you. That's the truth of the gospel. But here's the truth also. Every single one of us are ministers of the gospel. Every single one of us need to be spreading that truth. And so the appeal, the message that the world should get from the way we live our lives, the message should present this, this, ongoing, this ongoing challenge and invitation for them to embrace the gospel. God's message to the world it's not our message. It's God's message. We just get to be the messengers. And so, the, so it begs the question, is the life that we're living a true picture of the gospel? Mm. That's the first marker. Here's the second marker of a person who's living out the gospel, that our methods are honest. Verse 5 and 6. Y'all doing all right out there? Is this clear? Amen. You know, I'm one of those pastors, I kind of like me some feedback every now and then, you know what I mean? It's all right for somebody to shout glory, you know. Yeah, I got you, brother. So listen to what verses 5 and 6 say. They say, Paul says, For we never, we never, we never came with words of flattery, as you know. Nor, and, that, and what he's saying is, nor have we ever come with pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles, apostles of Christ. 
I love what he says here in verses 5 and 6. He says, for you know, as God, as our witness, that we have never used flattery. And that word flattery doesn't mean, you know, we, we try to use words that, you know, that, are, that, that indicate nice things. It means that we've never tailored the truth to match your personal popular opinion. That's what he means by that. No deceitful bait and switch. We've never tried to trick or deceive you in any way. We didn't put on a mask. That's what that word pretext means. We didn't put on a mask to cover or disguise any greed. We weren't wanting to get rich off the church. We weren't looking for financial gain. We wasn't trying to amass any personal possessions or material wealth. We didn't pretend to serve while at all the time wanting to be served. We didn't pretend to give all the time wanting to receive. We weren't looking for glory or fame or power or money or sex or personal gain. We didn't come seeking the red carpet treatment or to win favor or approval of man. Because to live this way would be in direct contradiction to the gospel that God has sent us here to preach. Can you feel that with me? And that's not why we came nor is it how we lived our lives before you. Instead, our methods have been totally honest and totally above board. And so we lived a life of, of what you see is what you get, and this is what you've seen from us. You've seen that we have been concerned about the truth of the gospel, and you've seen that we are concerned about the health and the future of God's church. And so to that end, our, our message is true, our methods are honest, and third, our motives are pure. Verse 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Being so, so being affectionately desirous of you that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. We demonstrated our love for you by the way we lived in relationship with you. Our compassion for you is proof that we serve a compassionate God who yearns for intimate relationship with you. He yearns for covenant relationship with you. And I love the metaphor that Paul uses here, the metaphor of a nursing mother taking gentle care of her children. Listen, there is nothing that compares to the wholesome, tender, gentle, loving, nurturing bond that happens between a mother and a child when she's nursing. Nothing. Nothing. You know, my kids, are, my kids are older, but I know many of you have, have babies. And, um, and so when my children were younger, um, my wife nursed our children, right? And it's amazing to watch a frantic child like it's, like it's having a crack attack 
just like frantic, frantic, just, you know, just like fussy and fidgety and all that stuff. And, and I watched my wife would take my, my, and she would like, she'd start talking to the baby. And then she'd pull that baby close, begin to just nurse that baby with tender love and care. And the environment that she would build would be safe. There'd be times where I'd bust in the house being typical Greg. Hey, hey, she's like, hey. And so I'd give her time, and <laughs> I'd give her time, and then I'd walk up and I'd, I'd look, and I promise you, every now and then, one of my children, both of them did it, would be, would be almost done feeding, and they would look up and they'd see me out of the corner of their eye, and they would unlatch, and they'd look at me, and they'd go, And fall off to sleep. And I'd look down at him and I'd say, listen, man, you only got a couple more months. That's all you got. <laughs> and here's the point, man. There is nothing more tender and affectionate than a nursing mom with her child. And that's what Paul is getting across here. That, that term affectionately, affectionately desirous means Warm and compassionate. Here's what he's saying, and Lee, you can bring your team up. He says, I have such warmth and compassion for you that I'm eager to do two things. I'm eager to give you the good news of the gospel. I'm eager to teach it to you. I'm eager to preach it to you. I'm eager to demonstrate. I'm eager to disciple and train you. I'm, either, I'm eager to give you, to bring to you the good news of the gospel. And second, not only am I eager to, to give you the good news, I'm eager to live the good news. Giving you of myself and up close, personal, transparent, life on life relationship. Building a community of followers who are characterized by their expression of love and dedication and commitment to one another as we're walking together and discovering what it means to live life in Christ together. That's what Paul is saying here. And this, re this message, especially at the end, today this, this passage is a reminder of us today, not only of Paul's motivation, not only of, of, of Paul's motivation and his example for us, but it's a reminder of the example that we're supposed to, to live in order to be identified as followers of Christ ourselves. Followers of Christ Living the gospel that Jesus has modeled for us. Let's pray. Father, I love that as we search the scriptures, we always get a glimpse. Not only of who you are and have been in the lives of others. But who you are and want to be in our lives as followers of of your son. I pray that as we sang earlier, you know, that we, we don't take for granted that every single thing we need can be found in you. That's the good news. That's the good news. 
So help us to understand what that looks like as we live this thing out. Help us to find our identity in you and you alone. For when we do that, we will find everlasting joy and everlasting life that is given freely to us through relationship with your son. Thank you for that assurance in Jesus' name. Amen.